Okay, pulling out of my garage. So we all know what that means. It's another episode of Drive to Work. Okay, so I've been thinking a little bit about the future of Drive to Work, and I realize that I've worked on a lot of projects, um, somewhere 50 or so, so I have a lot of things to talk about, and I have other things beyond sets that I could talk about, but I do not have any number of things I've worked on, and I'm trying to make this a weekly podcast, so I'm going to experiment a little bit. So today I'm going to talk about design, but rather than a particular set um, or particular thing, I'm going to talk about a kind of design, uh, and to be apropos with the fall set, I'm going to talk about multicolor design. Um, now, I wrote an article about this a while back called The Midas Touch. And so I'm going to use some terminology that came from that article. Um, one of the things I think I'm going to do with this podcast is I'm going to use different topics to jump off of. So one of the things I think I also will do at some point is use articles as reference. And um, you know, I, I might have a couple podcasts that are really about going in depth on some of the articles that have been very popular. It's kind of funny if I from my touch because that is not one of my you know, highlight uh, uh, columns. But it is the one where I talked about the design of multicolor, and I do think that is an interesting topic uh, for my drive to work today. So let me start with a little bit of history. Um, I, I consider myself one of the historians of magic, um, and there's not a lot of us, so I, my podcast will have some history in it. If you don't like history, uh, maybe, maybe not the podcast for you. Um, so let me talk a little bit about where multicolor came from. So when Richard Garfield first made magic... He was aware of the concept, you know, that it, it is not a giant leap to get to the point of saying, oh, well, what if this requires not one color, but two colors? Um, but it wasn't in Alpha, and so what happened was um, I talked about how he had different people working on sets, and uh, there's a guy named Barry Reich who made a set called Spectral Chaos that was really the first set to experiment with the idea of color. Um, now... That set would later go on to be part of uh, Invasion. I talked about that in my Invasion podcast. Um, but the first person to actually get there, it's, it's all good and some to do behind the scenes. But the first person to make a set to, to come out with it is a guy named Steve Connard, uh, and he was the head designer for Legends. Um, now, I talked about how uh, when Magic started doing well, uh, Richard went to a lot of his playtesters to have them start designing sets, but Peter Atkinson, the president of Wizards of the Coast at the time, also went to some of his friends to get them to design sets. Uh, and Steve Conard and Peter were um, longtime role-playing friends. They played did a lot of role-playing together. And so Steve and uh, Robin, I think, was on his team. I don't know his old team. Steve and Robin were the two main, main people. Uh, they decided to make a set based upon uh, the role-playing that they had done with their group, which Peter was part of. Um, and so one of the things they really wanted to do was introduce the idea of these legendary characters. Um, and so to do that, they came up with a couple things. Um, two big things, obviously. One is the concept of legendary. Um, at the time, it was a subtype. It was legends. Um, but the idea of these are these special things. Uh, and the legend rules originally, I think you only allowed to have one in your deck was how it worked originally. Um, and then later on, it's like, okay, you got four, but you know, you only have one to play at a time. But in the beginning, it's like, oh, you could have one in your deck. These are so special. There's one of them. You could have one in your deck. Um... And beside being legendary, he also made all of these legendary creatures gold. And note today, when I'm talking about the design of multicolor, I mean traditional gold multicolor. Uh, obviously, hybrid cards are, are multicolor, split cards are multicolor. I will talk about some of those things in later podcasts, but today I'm talking about traditional gold design. Um, so he made a bunch of legendary creatures that were gold. 
Now, these were the first gold cards to ever appear in Magic. Now, the interesting thing about them is, first of all, um, most of them sucked. I, I don't know if, if, for those that weren't around during Legends, but all the uncommons, barring one, was basically, I think, a vanilla or maybe a French vanilla. Um, there were a few interesting ones that rare, but most of them were pretty mundane. Uh, and they didn't particularly have much to do with their color. Um, th that's another interesting thing when you go look. You're like, well, why is it these combination of colors? Um, I think what he did is he made all his legendary creatures... Um, a lot of them were three-color. I think he had a few two-color. Um, but he was really trying to make something something exciting. And he, and he did. I mean, when Legends first came out, be aware, that's the first time Legendary ever appeared. It's the first time Gold ever appeared. And they both went over like gangbusters. In fact, the Legendary creatures were hugely popular, even though they were janky, uh, to use modern technology. Um, they, you know, they weren't anything special. And in a lot of cases, like I remember there was one that was essentially the same cost as a um, craw worm, except it just costs three colors of mana rather than one. Uh, and, it, and it costs the same amount. It was like six as well. Anyway, um, but it opened up the door. And then once that opened the door, the next set to follow was The Dark, um, a set made by Jesper Mirfors, who, by the way, a little trivia for you, uh, he, is an, he was the art director at the time. So actually, there's a set in which the standing art director was the lead designer, if, 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 uh, for those trivia buffs out there. Um, and... Uh, Jesper was very much into flavor. He was really trying to create a set. I mean, the point of the dark, and I'll probably get to this in my dark podcast, but is he was trying to get tone and trying to really say, ooh, well, let's look at the dark side of all the colors. Um, but anyway, he made a little bit of use, a little bit of use of, um, of gold. And he is the first one who, I feel like the gold cards really made sense. Like, they were in the colors that made sense. Uh, those were gold cards that weren't just the creatures. Um, you know, he had an enchantment. And, I mean, he, he did some other stuff. I mean, Dark Card of the Woods, by the way, one of my favorite early cards. Um, so, uh, then the next time I think gold showed up was in Ice Age. Um, and Ice Age really went to the bank with it, really. Like, there was a lot. I mean, Dark had a little tiny bit of it. You know, Ice Age had a lot of gold cards. Um, and, and for a while, um, you know, Ice Age, Mirage, it was kind of like, well, every set had, you know, a handful of gold cards in it. Um, and then eventually, we figured out we wanted to sort of save it up for Invasion, and, you know, it became something that we used from time to time, but not, not quite as often as we did in the early days. So anyway, um, mostly what I want to talk about today is how do you design a multicolored card? So there are a couple of different ways we do it. Um, first off, let me explain the major goal, like philosophically, what is a multicolored card trying to do, or a gold card? Um, well, what it is trying to do is it is trying to be... Um, I'll just pick two colors, red and green. It is trying to be um, a red card and a green card. I'm just using red and green as an example, by the way. Um, it's just easier to pick two colors. So, um, for people who love all the other colors, I don't mean to offend you. Um, I just felt a, a little ghoulish today. Okay, so, um, a gold card is supposed to say, hey, a red card has a philosophy of red, that it embodies what red embodies. Well, a green card embodies the philosophy of green. It embodies what green, you know, represents. So when you get a red and green card, it's supposed to both represent red and represent green. Now, that gets tricky from a design standpoint because the fact that you have to represent both colors adds a lot to making a card work. So, how do you do that? Well, uh, in my article, I said there were five basic ways that we can do that. So let me, let me walk through those five basic ways. So, uh, and I'm using the terminology from the article. Uh, a lot of these are slang R&D uses. 
Um, so the first is what we in our call a Chinese menu card. And what that means is, is you take one from column A and one from column B and put them together. So the idea is, oh, okay, I, I'm making a red-green card. I have a red effect and I have a green effect. And then I put them on the same card and oh, now I have a red-green card. So it's important. Uh, when I talk about design, I talk about this a lot in my, my I do some articles about like design 101. Um, one of the most important things to understand about designing a card is it's a holistic experience, which means is people don't look at the elements of the card separately. They look at it as one unit. It's all together. So if you have more than one thing going on in your card, there has to be some correlation between the things. And if not, the problem is the audience will assume there's a correlation. You know, one of the things about designing cards is that the reason, for example, it's very bad to make cards in which the two abilities of the card aren't synergistic is the audience will assume synergy because, well, why else would you put them on the card together? You know, so, for example, one of the worst-case scenarios in designing cards is making two abilities that don't work together because the assumption is they will work together and the people play the card wrong. And so when you're putting things together, you have to be very conscious of the relationship of all the elements together. Now... There's a bunch of ways to do that. Um, sometimes they have mechanical synergy. Sometimes they combine together to create a, a flavor, a flavor synergy that you know just holds the card together. I mean, Innistrad did a bunch of that. Um, so when we talk about gold cards, so on a Chinese menu card, I have to have color A and color B. Now those two have to have some relation to each other. And like I said, uh, the major way we do it is they, they mechanically they mechanically have a connection to each other. They mean something. Um, so let's, let me go to my favorite of all time. My absolute favorite gold card I've ever designed uh, is Recoil from Invasion. So Recoil, for those that don't know it, uh, you unsummon a permanent, that's the blue effect, and then you make your opponent discard a card, that's the black effect. Now the neat thing about this card is, if they have an empty hand, um, you can boomerang an enchantment or an artifact. No, 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 notice, blue cannot destroy things. Blue has no destruction effects. Black can destroy creatures and lands, but cannot destroy enchantments and artifacts. So, if they have an empty hand, recoil allows you to essentially destroy an enchantment or an artifact. Now, blue or black can't do that. You know, and that's the beauty of recoil is that, like, it, together it's greater than the sum of the parts. It's a very blue ability with a very black ability, but together they do something neither blue or black alone can do. Now, I'll admit... One of the problems we happen is, and, and Recoil is a perfect example of this, where early on you make a card, and it's a thing of beauty. You're just, oh my god, awesome card. And then you're like, oh my god, i, I got to do more of this. Like, I remember with Recoil, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, i got to make a whole cycle of this. This is awesome. And, we, you know, and then I'm like, oh, after you know, weeks and weeks of trying to recreate the magic of Recoil, I'm like, oh, this is really hard to do. There's not that many effects where A plus B equals C, uh, you know, and... When we find them, we, 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 we rejoice them. Uh, but that is hard to do. And in, in design, uh, it is very easy to kind of get um, pulled away and sort of tricked, if you will, uh, into thinking that something's easier than it is. Uh, I, there's a lot of cycles out there where, like, we made an awesome card and then we, ah, you know, the second one wasn't quite as good as the first. And by the fifth card of the cycle, it's like, eh, maybe it shouldn't have been a cycle. Uh, in, fact, in the early days, we were especially bad about pushing cycles where... Uh, that it wasn't a cycle's worth of design. So, um, you have your abilities, your red ability, your green ability. Um, and so, the, so first and foremost, uh, you want some, some synergy mechanically. That's most often what happens. Usually it's like, oh, well, the first effect and the second effect, 
help each other in some way. I mean, recoil is the perfect example where they, they grant each other abilities they don't have, but uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that magical. Um, a lot of times it could just be a matter of, you know, um, uh, you know, red can grant first strike, green can giant growth. Oh, well, maybe there's a nice interconnection between giant growth. Well, see, I give an example off the top of my head, and not the perfect example because both of them are allow your creature to survive, uh, so they're actually a little anti-synergetic. You can tell I'm doing a live podcast because I'm actually doing things off the top of my head. Um, uh, but another example might be uh, haste granting with giant growth, you know, where I, I make a creature able to attack and they make it bigger. That, that's uh, slightly better. <laughs> So here's the thing you don't get to see, because uh, you guys get to see the finished product. But uh, I come up with ideas all the time. And all my bad ideas, well, they get killed. And the good ideas, you guys get to see. So you're like, oh, these are all good ideas. Um, but often the first ideas don't always work. Um, okay, so uh, the other way to do it is a flavor-based way, which is sometimes you're like, oh, I'm trying to capture the flavor. Well, this thing is a very red thing to make the flavor make sense. And this is a very green thing. So, so this brings another interesting point, something else that comes a lot in magic, which is um, there's this belief that if you come up with an ability, either mechanically or flavorfully, that there's a place for it in magic. Now, it is true if you include gold cards, but once you take gold cards out of the mix, when you do monocolor cards, not every ability, not every mechanical ability will fit in with what what, what the cards can do. And so, as you'll, I'll talk about it a little later. It, it, it's important to carve out space for gold. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, Chinese menu, take A, take B, blend them together, have A and B make some sense on the same card. It could be mechanically, it could be flavorfully, but in, in essentially, you want something where the two pieces hold up and you go, oh, I get why it's red, I get why it's green, I see those pieces. Okay, the next ability is what I call the Venn diagram ability. Um, and this ability says, okay, well, if I take the abilities of the two colors, red and green for my examples, um, where do they overlap? And you're like, oh, well, both of them do power boosting, both do trample, both do artifact destruction. You know, the, there's certain areas where red and green do stuff that's similar. Um, and so one of the things that we can do is you're allowed to take gold cards and say, okay, we'll do something that both colors do, but we'll ramp it up. Uh, a very famous example of this was a card called Heroes Reunion. Uh, sorry, Heroes Union Reunion? Uh, see, naming's not my best bite. Um, I'm sure people who will know. It, it's uh, white and green. You uh, cast it to get seven life. Uh, and it was the second most popular card in the Invasion Godbook study. Um, and the idea was, oh, well, the two life-gaining colors are green and white. Stick them together, and, oh, well, you get a boost that you don't normally get. So this, let me explain one of the... This brings me to a good point. Uh, one of the reasons I think gold cards are so exciting is that on any card, you have an effect and you have a cost. And that the idea is the cost and the effect have to balance out. Um, where I think you get exciting cards is where the cost is misunderstood, so people get the effect is good, but don't realize that the cost equals the effect. Uh, and gold cards do this very well, because it is much harder to play a spell of two colors, especially if the spell is cheaper. Uh, for example, we'll take a Watch Wolf. So Watch Wolf uh, is from the original Ravnica, green and a white, 3-3 three, three creature. So in green, um, for 1G, you know, uh, I mean, you can get 2-2. Two, two. I, I think you can get 3-2, maybe. Um, I know you can get 2-3. Uh, and in white, you can get a 2-2, two, two, maybe do it slightly better than that. But the point is, neither green or white at 2 mana gets a 3-3 three, three without a drawback. You can't just get a vanilla 3-3. Three, three. 
But once you do green and white, all of a sudden, oh, you can do that without a drawback because that cost actually has a little more value than you realize. And a lot of the excitement of gold comes from people don't really understand the true cost of, of having to do gold. Um, uh, and the funny thing, it's one of the things about doing gold, and it's not really a little off topic, but uh, one of the big things about doing gold when you're designing is the environment require, has a lot more needs, a lot more things that you have to make to make it work. Because gold has this weird quality that um, it's very popular with players, but it is very hard to play. It is very disorienting. You have to make a lot of piles. You know, you have to do, make a lot of decisions. And that normally in Magic, when you're building your deck, uh, it's a little easier. And the gold, like just the number of piles you have to make when you make, make a, uh, you know, building a gold sealed, for example, it's just a little more intimidating. I mean, that's why uh, we have the guild pre-release boxes and why we're trying to make it a little easier um, to help people. Because gold is very popular and very sexy, but it also is a little more complicated, um, uh, especially in, in limited, especially in sealed. Um, so uh, the Venn diagram says, okay, if you take two things that overlap, you can take it, you can push it a little bit, and you can make a sexy card. Now, uh, the creation, since I've written this article, uh, the creation of hybrid has definitely taken the sales out of this category a little bit. Not that you can't do it some, um, but it... Hybrid has less design space than multicolor, traditional multicolor. Uh, and the Venn diagram area is the heart of um, the hybrid design space because hybrid is all about, well, what does, you know, if I can only cast red mana or green mana, well, I need an effect that I could do in red and an effect I can do in green. Um, so while we still use the Venn diagram method for multicolor, we use it less than we used to because, uh, you know, hybrid is a space now that we have to, we have to be aware of. And that's an interesting thing, by the way, something that uh, I don't think... It's something that I'm very conscious of, which is uh, magic keeps changing its parameters of what we can and can't do in design. And so, like, once upon a time, here's this rich area for gold design. Then we come up with something else, and, like, oh, it kind of steals away that space. And now it's a little harder to do traditional gold cards because we have this different set of hybrid cards. And that design has a lot of those where we'll do something, but then as technology advances, it changes what we have available to us. Um, like one of the things uh, on October I, is my uh, will be my 17th anniversary with Wizards, and people always ask like, "Don't you get tired? You've been doing the same thing for 17 years." And what I say to them is, "It's not really the same job. It's a similar job, but it's I'm constantly making new games, really, under the Magic umbrella, and my tools and resources and my what the puzzle I have to solve is an ever shifting puzzle." Just like you guys are always trying to crack the meta game, so too I'm trying to crack, I guess, the game uh, in making the game. And so, you know, kind of the fun for me is my parameters keep changing. What I have available to me keeps changing. What I have to watch out for keeps changing. And so, you know, it definitely keeps interesting for me. Okay, number three on the methods of doing uh, multicolor design uh, is what I called the roll call method. Uh, so this is the bluntest method. The idea of the roll call method is... If I have a red and green card, and I, on the card, call out red and call out green, it feels like a red and green card. Um, and so what happens is, I don't necessarily need to have effects from both colors. I can actually steal an effect from one of the two colors, but if I have it affect both colors, it feels naturally in that color. So, for example, let's say I wanted to do... Um, uh, some boost. Uh, I wanted to grant... Uh, that's a good example here. Uh, I wanted to grant double strike. 
um, to red and green creatures. Now, double strike is not a green ability. Green doesn't get double strike. Red gets double strike. Now, if, if I grant a double strike to red creatures, okay, that's a red card. But the second I say green creatures, if I now put it on a red and green card, you're like, oh, well, I see. It's a red and green card that helps red and green creatures. And so that's a way for you to sort of uh, take one of the two effects. It doesn't have to have both sides. It doesn't need a Chinese menu. Um, but it feels right. And we, we do that from time to time. Um, now, be aware, when I say reference color, there's a couple different ways to reference color. The most obvious is, like, just verbatim saying, you know, I affect red and green creatures. But you also get other things that trigger off red and green spells. Um, you could reference the basic lands that make them. So you could talk about mountains and forests. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. It's just, when you read the card, you're, like, what, what you have to do is say, oh, well, if I want to maximize this, I need to play this kind of deck. Um, and then, you know, it says, oh, well, it's a red and green card. It needs to go to a red and green deck. I have red and green things. Oh, it affects red and green things. It all feels right. Um, now, roll call is interesting in that it's very forced. Like, we're sort of, uh, it's what we call heavy-handed design in the sense that it, it's not subtle, you know. Um, and one of the things about design, let me talk about this for a second, is there's a spectrum of design from what I call the subtle end to the blunt end. And the idea is, subtle is, I'm helping you, but I'm not hitting you over the face of what I'm doing. You know, like a subtle card is the kind of card that people have to kind of learn works. You know, and one of the funny things is, we always put subtle cards in sets, you know. And it's hilarious that when players find them, they're always like, wow, did R&D know this was there? And I'm like, does it fit perfectly with what you're doing? Um, I mean, we work really hard to put a lot of subtle stuff in. I mean, I'm a big advocate of synergies. I, I like to work into my design to make sure that oh, well, here's the elements that we're working on. Here's other cards that care about those elements in different ways. Oh, when people start matching them together, they'll find their synergies, you know. And so um, I think that subtle designs are fun. But I think people overvalue subtle and, and undervalue blunt. Because um, uh, one of the stories I'll tell is um, we were, this is during Odyssey design, and we were making a threshold card. So if those who don't remember, threshold, uh, if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, it clicks on and has an additional ability. And so we were trying to make a basilisk. Uh, and I said, okay, well, when it clicks on, it gets um, lure. Because, uh, you know, lure and basilisk, going back to alpha, was a very popular combo. And they're like, well, isn't that too obvious? I'm like, no, 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 it's not too obvious. You know what? Because a lot of people go, ooh, basilisk. Ooh, I guess it's like a lure. You know what's good? Basilisk and lure, you know. And then I think, I think it is fine to be subtle, and I definitely make sure every design has lots of subtleties to it, but it's also fine to be blunt. That part of design, like, like I talk about this uh, a lot, is design is, the ultimate end of design is you are trying to create fun. You are trying to create enjoyment for the person playing it. And so when you think of it that way and saying, okay, I'm trying to get an emotional response out of somebody. Well, how do I do that? Well, I, I play to the things that create emotional responses. Now, the reason that subtlety plays to that is when you have things that you discover, you're very proud of yourself. And it's, it's, it's a good feeling. Oh, my God, I learned this. I, I, I did this. I found this connection. And whether or not R&D planned for that connection to be there or not, you still feel good. You found it. You found this connection, and you feel good. But... Blunt is also nice because it's fine to just see something and instantly recognize it as something good. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, humans like that. It's something that uh, our brains are, are, are wired to do, which is, you know, you can see something and go, oh, I instantly know I like that thing. I want that thing. 
Um, I mean, we make a lot of what we call tamey rares, and that's fine. Oh, look, a giant creature that will just wreck the board when you get into play. I want that giant creature. You know, and, and that's fine. That is perfect. Um, I mean, like I said, it, a lot of design is understanding the, the spectrum that you're working with, and that it is fine to be subtle. It is fine to be blunt. In fact, I think when you're trying to do the best work as a designer, you use the whole spectrum. You, you, you know, you try to both, because different players will respond to different things. That, and that, by the way, that's a meta, ongoing message for, for, this, for this podcast. Magic's not one game, really. It doesn't have one player type. It has many different player types. Um, and that part of being a good designer is designing a lot of different experiences. Like today I'm talking about gold cards. Well, different people like different kinds of gold cards. Some people love Chinese menu cards. Some people think they're happy and don't like them, you know. And like roll call cards, some people are like, oh my God, could you be a little, you know, more blunt? And I'm like, well... These are blunt cards. You know, these aren't the subtle ones. Okay, so let's let's get to the subtle ones. Well, a little more subtle. Uh, the next one is what we call a shared hobby. Uh, and this method is about helping to define uh, things based on color. So, for example, I'm mean, not a co- on combination of colors. So, Ravnica is an easy example, which is um, if we define something as being Selesnia, I mean, we have a mechanic, for example, um, you know, convoke in the original Ravnica um, and uh, populate in Return to Ravnica. Um, once you define that as being a Selesnian thing, well, you can just put it on a card. You know, a card just could have it. Like, no one questions a white-green card that has populate on it. Why? Because that's a Selesnian thing, you know? And that one of the things... For, for example, take Innistrad. Well, we define vampires as being black and red. Well, if we make a really vampire-ish card and it's black and red... That helps make it just feel, oh, oh, it's a vampire thing. Well, vampires are black and red. Okay, it makes sense it's black and red. So that's another big trick you can use is if you get definition to the colors, then you can design stuff that fits because it fits the larger context of the, the flavor you're wrapping the things in. Like, one of the things you'll notice is colors tend to lead to what we call factioning, which is, you know, Chardellara did it, Ravnica did it. Once we say to you, here's a reason to play something, um, and then give you some sort of flavor justification, then you start seeing those colors as a combined entity. Now, obviously, in, in Ravnica, it's a guild, and in Shards of Lara, they're shards, but in Innistrad, hey, they're monsters, right? You know, uh, blue and black meant zombies. You know, red and black meant vampires. And that part of what we try to do from year to year is give context so that, you know, your... Um, we are trying to make the players have an appreciation and so every year we have to redefine that because one of the things is we're making the same game every year magic is the game it is but every year we want a new experience we want you to sort of come at it fresh and so what we do is we take a certain number of tools that we have and we redress them so that you can see it as something different you know because in Estrad Red Black was vampires um, in Return to Ravnica it's uh, Rakdos the Rakdos Guild and there's some overlap you know, both of them feel black-red, but they're not the same thing. What you what you expect to do with vampires versus what you expect to do with raptors are different animals, and that part of making an experience that's different each year is playing into that. That's a huge part of doing design, is kind of reskinning, not just flavor-wise, but also even mechanically reskinning um, you know, the different groups that you have each year. And we change around what the groups are. You know, the groups is not always color-based, but it is color-based a lot. It's, it's the number one definer of magic. Um, but anyway, that is shared hobby. Now we get to the fifth and final method of making 
um, gold cards is what I call the shiny and new method. Um, so one of the tricks is how do I make a card that feels certain colors? Well, do something I've never done before and then just define it as that. Um, for example, let's talk about destroy target permanent. Uh, now, I will argue that particular effect was done in Desert Twister, but it never really fit. Green's not supposed to destroy creatures, at least not that simply and that directly. Um, and when we made Vindicate uh, Invasion, it's like, oh, wow, that is a nice, clean, you know, destroy target permanent is an awesome thing. The game should have it, but it doesn't easily fit in one color. I was talking about this earlier, that one of the great traps is you come up with something as a designer or, or developer or whatever, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, this is awesome. This is resonant. This is awesome. We should do this. But the trick is not everything fits neatly into Magic's color pie, uh, at least monocolor color pie, you know. And a lot of times we kind of fit things in, and I, I think to the detriment. And one of, my, one of my pet peeves of the core set is it has a tendency to try to go resonant, so it forces the mechanics, and then we, we kind of get things in which... This isn't really in the color pie, except one time in the core set. Um, and that's something that I'm... I mean, again, I'm, I'm the most color pie purist of the R&D folks, you know. Uh, I look at something like Choking Vines, and I'm like, oh, it's not really what green does. I get it. They're vines. Vines are green. Um, but this, that's where I really believe that multicolor... Um, I feel that whenever... By the way, whenever I see something... Uh, one of my jobs is, as, a, as, as the, one of the color pie gurus is I will go through that to make notes like, okay, guys, this isn't blue or this isn't red or, you know, or, ah, this could be white, but, you know, here's one or two things you can do to help make it feel more white. Um, and often what I do is I text them and go, this isn't this color. And they'll come back to me and they'll go, well, what color is it? And I go, oh, well, it's not a monocolor. It's, oh, it's white-green or oh, it's red-green. or You know, I, I say, oh, it can be done, but it's not a monocolor card, you know. And the, I'm excited to do that because... We are going to be doing gold cards till the end of time. People like gold cards. They're exciting. But gold cards do not have the depth that monocolor cards have. Um, like, I'm, today, I'm walking through, like, okay, there's, like, five methods to make them. It's not, you know, it's not, it, it is a limited space. And as a designer, one of my main jobs as head designer is recognizing what are our limited spaces and making sure we preserve those. For example, I talked about how a Planeswalker design space is very limited. So I'm, I'm, very much trying to make sure that we slowly use the, the Planeswalker design space and not eat it up faster than, we, than we're supposed to. Um, gold cards are similar in that whenever I find an effect that needs to be in a multicolor card, I'm like, hallelujah, wait, save this. This is a multicolor card. Wait till we do it in multi Don't force it in monocolor. Wait till we have the freedom to do multicolor because multicolor needs it and it is neat to have things that, look, you want to do this effect, you need to go to multicolor. Um, and so this last category really is that. Now, sometimes it has to do with doing something where you're kind of combining things in a way that we can't normally do. Other times, it's literally a brand new effect. Like, one of my favorite type of gold cards is to come up with something never done, that this game has never done before, and then put it in gold, and people go, oh, oh, that thing, well, that's, that's a red-black thing, or a red-green thing, or whatever. Um, I, I, I love doing that, I and mean, I love giving definitions to things. And, you know, the more we can give definitions to, like, multicolors, color combinations, I, I think the stronger the game is and the better the design will be a long time. Um, so, as you can see, um, those are the five basic methods of designing um, multicolor cards. Um, some of them are wider than others. Um, and the other thing is, certain ones of them require a, a deft touch. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the key of making a multicolor design work is trying to come together in such a way that 
the card feels like one entity, one thing. This is why Chinese menu cards are very tricky, is you don't want to feel like some weird combination, you know. And Magic has done this. Whenever I talk about rules, we've broken every rule I'm talking about. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should, you know. I'm not a giant fan of, um, you know, random red effect and random green effect, you know. It's a bolt and a rampant growth. And I'm like, well, but why is it a bolt and a rampant growth? You know, what... Um, now, one of the tricks, by the way, I'll, I'll let you in on a, a little secret is, if you want to take two things that don't connect and make them feel like they connect, then what you need to do is find a way to correlate them. So, for example, let's say what I really want to do is a direct damage spell and a rampant growth. Well, on the surface, they have nothing to do with each other, right? One goes and gets land, one does damage it, but all you have to do is uh, take one and make it the context of the other. For example... Go get a basic land and put in play tapped. Okay, take random growth. Then, card name deals X damage to target creature, where X is the number of that basic land you have in play. Now, all of a sudden, see what I did? Is I made the land itself relevant to the second effect. Because, well, by getting this land, I at least made one damage possible, and I obviously, if I'm using the spell correctly, maybe I'm upping the amount of damage to do more, but then the card I get with Rampant Growth is relevant to the direct damage. All of a sudden, the card makes sense together. Um, so a, a lot of the gold cards, a lot of doing this, I mean, it makes it sound like I'm just running through these categories. There's a lot of careful craftsmanship. It is not something that is, it's just like, oh, just put A and B together. You know, a really well-made Chinese menu card, for example, a and B are there, but they're woven in such a way that A and B seem correlated to each other. And sometimes they're directly correlated, as my example. Um, you know, like I said, gold cards, it's, 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 they're tricky. They are, they are a very tricky animal. Um, and as a designer, I, I like them. I mean, I always say restrictions breed creativity. I, I enjoy having limitations. I definitely... I mean, one of the reasons that I, I think gold cards are fun is I've, I've done a lot of gold design. I've made probably... I don't know, a thousand, but hundreds of gold cards, maybe a thousand gold cards. Um, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been the lead on a number of gold sets, and I, I, I was on a, a lot of other gold sets, so I've made a lot of gold cards. Uh, but I still enjoy making gold. I still think they're fun. They're, they're a challenge. There's a real artistry to making a, you know, a, 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 a wonderful gold card. Uh, it is hard to do. Um, and it's, it's easy to do it kind of, you know, a ham-fisted version. It, it's not hard to make a kind of clunky gold card. That, that is not that hard to do. Uh, and some of those need to get made. But what I love, I love making a gold card where it just hangs together. It feels like one spell, one effect, even though you are, you know, able to sort of capture multiple colors in the, in the essence of it. Um, but when you do that, when, you, when it all comes together, when you make a gold card, you're like, man, this thing just sort of holds together. That is, I don't it's a thing of beauty. And one of my favorite things to do. So, anyway, I am now at work. So that means it is time for me to wrap this up. Um, I had fun talking about gold cards today. Uh, like I said, it is, um, it is something that's difficult to do, but I, I, as a designer, I don't shy away from difficulties. I actually, in some ways, uh, I, I'm glad that magic has things that are difficult. Like, I mean, my, I, would not have done, I wouldn't be here for 17 years if it was kind of rote, you know, and I, I love having the challenges. So I'm, I'm glad the cards like uh, gold cards exist. And, um, anyway, I want to thank you guys all for joining me today, and I guess it's time to go make the magic cards. <laughs>